Welcome everyone. Happy Easter to you. My name is Tim Harris. I am the pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, and that's where you are, and we're glad that you're here. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew right in front of you. Grab that paperback Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can have that Bible. We're happy to give that to you. It's right there for you. John, chapter 20. going to start with verse 24. Really good to see you. Really good to have you. I understand a lot of people come to church on Easter that don't come any other time. Uh, and I sort of get, I, I actually get that to, to some degree. Uh, I'm gonna, even though I've spent my whole life in church and I'm a pastor and I love people uh, more than anything in the world, I love church people. I'll be the first to admit, man, sometimes church people are just weird. Church people can just be really, really, really weird. And it's hard to explain sometimes. Uh, a while back I was watching television and on the news they showed the face and told the story of a pastor I'd known all of my life. He was in the orange jumpsuit and had been indicted for embezzling money from the church. And uh, it, it was just really startling and heartbreaking and just strange to think about the fact that this was a man that I'd known for years and years and years closely and that so many people had known him closely and he'd been a pastor and, and, and done so much good in the world but was still a man fully capable of stealing money from, from the church. It was, it was strange, strange how we can be in church Sunday after Sunday, some of us, and really still not know each other or let people know who we are, what we're like. I think that's what we mean when some of us say that church people are weird. It's just strange that, that, that some people can be one way at church and then something very different when you see them elsewhere. It's strange for a person to be friendly in one place or on one day of the week and, and not so friendly the next time you, you, you see them. It's kind of why I really enjoy reading the Bible and, and seeing especially the 12 guys. We call them the disciples, the 12 guys that walk most closely with Jesus because these guys are just real as, real as guys get. They don't pretend to be anything other than what they are. When you see them uh, in one story, in one page, they're going to be the same as you'll see them next time around. They are just real, real guys. And one of those real guys we'll meet today is a disciple named Thomas, and I want us to look at part of his story. We're going to start in verse 24, but let me just tell you, just prior to these verses, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. This is the first Easter, the very first Easter day. Uh, the stories that started to come in that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty, but honestly, disciples still don't know exactly what that means, and they continue to be very, very afraid. They are in a locked room together, the ten of them. Thomas is not there. And on that particular day, the very first Easter, Jesus appears to those men alive. And it's amazing. Problem is, Thomas isn't there. So the story picks up in verse 24 with Thomas, who uh, uh, should probably never, ever be absent again. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 24, this is Thomas' story. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Shalom, peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Stop doubting and believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe 
without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Yeah, we don't really know where Thomas was that first Sunday night. Again, it was Easter Sunday. It's, it's amazing. Thomas is the one with, that we always call, you know, his other, it says his nickname is the twin, but honestly, most of us just know him as Doubting Thomas. Thomas is the guy forever labeled the doubter because of this story, because Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. So it is true that Thomas, at one point in the story, has trouble believing. However, if you back up a little bit, look at the story right before this story, you'll see that the other disciples don't win any prizes for faith either on that first Easter. You'll find them, it says, the 10 of them, to do the math, if there were 12 disciples and there are 10 and Thomas is missing, that's only 11. Where's the 12th disciple? Who would that be? Yeah, Judas. And what happened to Judas? He's the one who betrayed Jesus. At the end of that, he felt so bad that he went out and he hanged himself. He committed suicide. So Judas is gone. There are now 11 disciples. One of those is Thomas. Thomas isn't there. So there are 10 disciples gathered together in a locked room. Now, why are they in a locked room? I remind you, it's Easter. It's the very first Easter. They have heard the reports of the women. They've heard Mary Magdalene come back and say that Jesus is alive. Uh, the way we celebrate it today, you would think that those guys should really be celebrating, but they're not. They are in a locked room, all ten of them together, doors locked, hiding out of fear. Now, what are they afraid of? Jesus is alive. Why are they afraid? Well, They've heard that Jesus is alive, but they haven't seen him. They haven't seen him. They've only heard that. And having heard it, they don't know what it means. So understand, they know there's an empty tomb. The women say they've seen him, but honestly, they don't know what any of this means. They remain very, very confused and afraid. So you can't say that any of them on this particular first moment of Easter are, are any sort of champions of faith. They all struggle with fear. They're afraid because the same men who came to kill Jesus could likely come now and, and try to take out his disciples. So they are legitimately afraid. But they are together in a locked room, and what happens? A locked room, and Jesus comes and knocks on the door. Is that what it says? No, no, no. Jesus appears. He's just there. He's just there. Passing through the walls, passing through the locked door, I don't know. He's just there. Now, that's amazing. That's really pretty amazing. And if you're a believer, if you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that the Scriptures teach that Jesus' resurrection body is the same kind of resurrection body that we will have after we die and then, and then we're brought back with Jesus on the last day. You know what I'm talking about? We will be raised just like he was raised, and the Scripture says we'll have a body like he's got now, it's not physical. They could see Jesus. They could touch Jesus. So it's not like a ghost. It's not like you could put your hand through him. You could touch him. He could eat. That's good news for most of us. He could eat. So that means we'll have a Bible. We can eat. In heaven, we can eat. But also, he could pass through walls. You understand that? He could just pass through locked doors. He could just appear and disappear. I'm going to be all about that in heaven. Y'all just be warned. I'm going to be popping in and popping out. I mean, I could wear that out. That sounds awesome. Jesus is simply able to appear and disappear. It's a spiritual body. Not physical, but spiritual. 
It's, it's glorified sometimes, we say. It's, it's a perfect body. It's an eternal body. It'll never die, never decay, never be sick. He can eat. He can be touched. It's amazing. A perfect glorified body. So suddenly Jesus is just standing right there in the middle of them. And he says, peace, peace be with you, shalom. And then he tells them to touch. Put your fingers in my hands, touch. And, and, and touch the wound in my side. Just touch me, see me, feel me. He just allows them to touch and believe. So when they come out telling the story, that's the story they tell. We've seen Jesus. We touched him. We put our fingers in his wounds. We know that it is Jesus. Jesus is alive. Now, Thomas wasn't there. So when they tell the story to Thomas, what does Thomas say? I, I won't believe it. I won't believe it unless what? Unless I can see him. I want to see him. I want to put my fingers in his wounds. I want to put my hand into the wound in his side. I want to see, I want to touch, and then I'll believe. Now, you can say that he's a doubter, and I suppose that he is, but let's be real honest. The only thing Thomas is asking for is what everybody else already got. They got to see him. They weren't believing either until they saw him. They weren't necessarily believing either until they touched him. Thomas just wants exactly what the other disciples got. I won't believe until I can see him myself, until I can touch him myself. And so then he waited. Scripture says it was eight days later before Thomas got to see and touch and believe. Eight days. Why eight days? Why would it take a full-blown week? Thomas wants to see Jesus. He's looking for him. But, but here's the whole point. Jesus, Jesus isn't available like that. Now, as bad as Thomas wants to find him, Thomas can't necessarily find him. I want you to understand this. This is an important spiritual principle here. You don't find Jesus. Jesus finds you. You don't find Jesus. Jesus finds you. Now, now some of you are saying, well, I've read the Bible, and the Bible says that you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So the scripture says that you can seek and find God. Yes, it does say that. It, it does say that. But you've got to understand something about God. He's not necessarily available to you like that. You don't get to just snap your fingers and have him show up. You can't build a ladder and climb your way up to him nor demand that he come down to you. You just don't have that sort of control over him. You understand? So Jesus will appear, Jesus will disappear, he will go where he wants, he will come when he wants. Thomas has no control over this. As bad as he wants to see Jesus, you don't find Jesus, Jesus finds you. Now, way back in the day, now I, I, I'm a country kid, I grew up in Matlock, which is actually a suburb of Woodburn. So it's, it's way on out that direction, it, it gets pretty small and lonely out there. We had no neighbors. I did not see a soul. I would run out in the driveway when the mailman came by just to wave. I mean, I did. His name was Dennis. I'd just wave. I'd be the only person I'd see till the next time the mail came, honestly. But I have friends who lived in Franklin, which seemed like a big city. They lived in Sing Subdivision, if anybody knows Sing Subdivision. Subdivisions were amazing to me because there's houses and houses and lots and lots of kids. And I just thought that was like heaven. Again, I lived in the middle of nowhere. The kids in Sing Subdivision used to play what they would call subdivision tag. 
subdivision tag. What do you think that is? You play basically hide and seek in the whole subdivision. Like the whole subdivision. Now, I didn't live there. I just had some friends there. But we just ran through everybody's yard. We hid in people's houses and garages. I mean, we just ran. that. So it was awesome. Back in the day, you could do that kind of thing. But you don't understand. These are city kids, and city kids are not smart. I'm a country kid. I am good at this. You don't understand, people. When it comes to hide and seek, I am epic. I am epic. I can hide. I have these cloaking powers. I cannot be found. And that's the fun thing. I knew I was going to dominate this game. And I did, people. I did. We went out. We all put our potatoes in. One potato, two potatoes, three potatoes, four to figure out who's going to be it. I'm not going to be it because I'm going to hide. And I was not it. I got to hide. So we counted around. And somebody was it. They were going to count to a, a million, whatever. And we are going to hide in the whole subdivision. The whole subdivision. Okay, country kid, I'm smart. I go as far away as I can. I run to the very edge of the subdivision. I crawl in somebody's doghouse. Don't know who. If it's yours, thank you for letting me use your doghouse. It was awesome. It was kind of a big doghouse. I crawled all the way to the back, and I disappeared. I mean, I disappeared into the doghouse. The city kids, they don't have any patience. They're eventually going to walk out. They're going to pee. They don't hide well. They just stand out under streetlights. I mean, city kids are just... But I mean, I'm awesome. I am so hidden, and it's amazing. I crawl back in that doghouse thinking they will never find me. They will never find me, and it's awesome. I can hear kids in the distance screaming and running and getting found. I'm thinking those dumb city kids, man, they will never find me. They will never find me. And then a rather extraordinary passage of time. And I'm still in that doghouse. Thinking to myself, they will never find me. They are never going to find me. They never found me. I stick my head out and go, hey! I mean, they never found me. So eventually I came out and went back to the house where we started. Game was over. No kidding. People had gone home. It was over. They never found me. Now, honestly, it's fun to hide. But all the fun in hiding is eventually getting found. You understand? Eventually getting found. As much as I enjoyed being a good hider, honestly, I wanted to be found. That's the fun of it. When I say you don't find Jesus, Jesus finds you. I want you to understand something. You can't find him like that. You're not just going to go out and run into Jesus or command him to come and appear to you. It didn't work that way for Thomas. It will not work that way for you. However, you need to know he wants to be found. Jesus wants to be found. And so that's why the scripture says, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. You got to want him. You got to want to find him. But you will seek him and find him if you seek with all your heart. Thomas must have wanted to see Jesus. He had given up everything to follow him. He, he walked with him for three years. He slept and ate and drank with Jesus and wanted to see him. So Thomas says a rather amazing thing. Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Now, now stop and think about this. 
I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. That's one of the mysteries of the resurrection, actually. Remember I said that Jesus' resurrection body was a glorified body. He, he was perfect. Uh, no flaws, no decay. It was an eternal, perfect, glorified, spiritual body. And yet, it's wounded. Of all things, when, when, when God brought Jesus back to life and when Jesus is perfected in this glorified body, that body is not exactly perfect. He still has wounds. No, God could have erased those wounds. Those wounds could have been healed, but they're not. For all eternity, Jesus carries wounds. The question for me is, 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 is why? Why are those wounds left on him? Not only that, in the story you notice Thomas and elsewhere, it becomes the wounds that identify him. I won't believe that it's Jesus until I can see those wounds. I want to see the wounds. I want to touch those wounds. I want to feel those wounds. I will know him by his scars. Interesting that Jesus' identity becomes wrapped up in these scars. This is how he is known. In glory still, this is how he is known, by his scars. What does that mean? Why does Jesus still have scars? amazing things about wounds, about scars for any of us is that every wound has a story. Every scar has a story. Uh, I could take you through my arms and, and, and body and just show you all the places where I'm scarred and beat up and dented. And, and I could tell you the story, uh, all, all the different ways that, that I've been hurt through life. And that's the thing about scars, that there, there are always stories to be told with them. Jesus' wounds have stories. <laughs> I had lunch. This past week with this guy who's been coming to church, awesome guy. I love, love, love him. We, we were at Subway, which is, you know, where God's people eat. And uh, we are at Subway. Anyway, this guy said, Brother Tim, I got scars all on my belly. I said, really, what happened? Knife fight. Been stabbed, knife fight. I said, awesome. I mean, because I mean, it is. I mean, because it's not me in the knife fight. Awesome. You know, Awesome. I got stab wounds all in my, on my belly from a knife fight. Wow, that, that's, that's cool. He said, and my right butt cheek got shot off. <laughs> I said, really? Who shot that off? I mean, because you want to know, right? Y'all ready for this? He said, I did. I mean, you know, how does that happen? I mean, this is just, you know, how does it, so that's why I said, um, how did you do that? How did you do that? He said, I was, carrying, I was carrying a gun in my back pocket and I fell down. So, fell down, blew it off. Yeah, that awesome? You can only do that twice in your life, you know, you can only do that twice. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. I got, I got stab wounds all in my belly. My right butt cheek blown off. And then he said, honestly, he said, now you know me. Now you know me. Isn't that amazing? 
something about his scars. If I were going to know him, he felt like I needed to know why he sits in church kind of leaning to the left. (laughs) (laughs) He does, a little bit. bit, bit. (laughs) Now you know me. Now you know me. Thomas said, I I won't believe it's him. I I will not believe until I see those scars. Why is he scarred? I want you to get this. Jesus will carry his wounds for all eternity. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus carries his wounds for all eternity. So you don't have to carry yours. Jesus carries his wounds for all eternity. So you don't have to carry yours. That cross that Jesus was crucified upon was for the sins of the world. Do you remember that? Remember when John the baptizer, first time he laid eyes on Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was that sacrificial Lamb, the pure, the spotless, the sinless one, the only one who could pay the penalty for our sins because he's the only one who had no sin debt of his own. He never sinned. That just simply means that that death for sins was not his. That was mine. I I, I was supposed to die. You were supposed to die. We deserve that. The wages of sin is death. We're condemned. We deserve that. He did not deserve that. This is the whole story of Jesus, that he came and did for us what, what we could not have done for ourselves. He saved us by dying in our place. So truly, when you see those scars upon Jesus, you've got to understand that those scars have something to do with you. As a matter of fact, those aren't really his scars. Those are your scars. He bears those for you. Those sins that he died for, those were your sins. The shame, the guilt that he takes away, that's your shame and guilt. He carries his wounds for all eternity so you don't have to carry yours. By his stripes, you're healed. That's what the scripture says. He's known by his scars. At the end of the book, into the book of Revelation, there's this vision of heaven. And in heaven, there's this amazing worship going on, this wonderful, glorious worship service. And at the very center of heaven, the very center, the object of all of that worship, the scripture says, is a lamb who was slain. In other words, in the middle of everything, all the glory that that we eventually pay in our worship for all eternity goes to the lamb who was slain. He's a wounded lamb for all eternity, carrying those wounds. So so you don't have to. We know him by his scars. That's what Thomas says. You're going to know him by his scars too. It's, It's his identity. Every scar has a story, and the story is what he would do to save you. Do you understand that? These are scars, wounds that show his love for you. Wounds have a story, and it's a story about you. I'll be really honest with you, though. I think it's true that we'll know him because of his wounds. I don't know if you'll get this or not, but let me just say this. I may know him by his wounds, but there's something about me... If he weren't wounded, I wouldn't be sure that he could know me. You know what I'm saying? If, 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 if Jesus weren't wounded, I'm not sure that he could know me. Because this is what it is to be us. This is what it is to be human. We're, we're, we're wounded. We're scarred. 
And I'm not talking all physical. I'm not saying that you've had one of your butt cheeks blown off or you got stab wounds in your belly. You might. Some of you look like you could. It's more, um, sometimes it's the inward scars that hurt the most. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have lived with pain your whole life. Not physical, it's, it's just the emotional, it's the human stuff. Sometimes it's the pain of regret, man, having done things that you wish you'd never done and you can't ever undo. Sometimes it's just being the victim of other people's choices, man. Your daddy, your mama who abandoned you years ago, never looked back, never came back, never loved you. Man, you carry that. You didn't ask for that, but you still got to carry it. The, the wounds. It might be the wound of, of a divorce. It might be the, the, the wound of, of mistakes that you can't possibly erase. That's what it is to be me. So I just don't, I don't know. If, if Jesus weren't carrying wounds, I'm not sure that he could know me. I don't know another way to say that. So Thomas says, I, I'm not believing. I cannot believe. I won't believe it until I see him for myself. I, I want to touch the wounds in his hands. I, I want to place my hand deep in his side. I, I, I want to feel that wound where the sword went in. I, I need to feel that. So eight days later, eight days later, a week later, the disciples are together and Thomas is with them. Now, you knew he would be. I bet Thomas has followed these boys in the men's room every single day, man. He is not going to not be there next time Jesus appears. So he's just there. Thomas is right there thick in the middle of it. Once more, the doors are locked. I, I love this. Jesus could use the door, but then why would you? I mean, why would you? Jesus just appears in, in the middle of a, of a locked room. He's just there, just like the week before. But this time, Jesus makes a beeline for Thomas. He goes straight to Thomas, immediately talking to Thomas, and he says to Thomas, peace be with you. Then he said to him, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love the way, I just love the way Jesus gives Thomas exactly what he needs for faith. I mean, you and I, we could criticize doubt in Thomas, and we could say, listen, he ought to just toughen up, but Jesus doesn't come with a lecture. He gives him exactly what he needs. Thomas, look, it's me, touch, feel me. Exactly what he needs for faith. The thing is, I don't really know. It, it doesn't say. It's amazing. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound of my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas just simply says, my Lord and my God. It doesn't say that he touched. It, it makes me sort of wonder if when that moment came, he didn't need to touch anymore. Something about just being in the presence of the risen, the living Christ, all of a sudden, he, he just knows my Lord and my God, it's the highest kind of confession that you could possibly make. He's looking at Jesus and saying, you're God. You are my Lord. You are my God. You're God. Now that, that's interesting. Remember that Thomas knew Jesus as a man. Thomas walked and talked and slept and ate and drank. He knew Jesus for three years. He knew Jesus as a man. But now he saw Jesus dead. He sees Jesus alive. And he says, you are God. You're my Lord and my God. That's great. And Jesus says to him, now stop doubting and believe. Connect some dots with me. Understand this. 
Jesus will give you exactly what you need for faith. He will give you all that you need for faith. He, he will. But then you will still have to believe with all your life. He'll give you everything you need for faith, but then you have to stop doubting and believe. Got to believe. Even though it's church on Easter, I don't assume you all believe. I don't assume that you all believe. And I've even going so far to say some of you are probably not believing. You just think, you know, preacher, that is just another story in a book full of stories. And I've been to a whole lot of funerals, seen a whole lot of people put in the ground, and I've never seen anybody walk out of a grave. It's just not possible. I get that. You're, you're rational, kind of practical person, and, and you have trouble believing. I, I get that. But understand this. Um, these were real men. Nobody doubts that, and if you do any kind of historical research, you will find out that these guys, these 11 guys, they lived, and Jesus lived for that matter. That's not disputable. These guys lived. The other thing that's amazing is, is that these 11 guys, Thomas and all of them, they had an amazing transformation. They were one thing, and then they became something else. And in their own stories, it, it, it was this, it, it was this, not so much being chosen by Jesus, not so much walking and talking and healing and watching his miracles, it, it was not that. Something about watching him die and then seeing him alive again, this changed everything for them. So this story right here, these stories about seeing the, the, the living risen Christ, I, I know that's hard to believe, but you can't get past the fact that these men really believed it. I don't know about that preacher. I think it's possible that after he died, they were just so disappointed that they made up those stories. They sort of created a religion around Jesus just to sort of keep the whole thing going. Yeah, I, I've thought about that. And lots of people have thought about that. But in that case, these men would be telling a story that they know is not true. Maybe they had good intentions, but they would be telling a story that they know in their hearts never happened. And here's what you need to recognize. Again, just history. After this, after Jesus came back to life and after they say that they saw him, these men went all over the world preaching and telling this story, that they saw Jesus alive. They went everywhere. And the other thing you need to know is that every single one of them, and lots of others, but every single one of these 11 guys, they died for this story. Are you listening to me? That They died for this story. You've heard of Simon Peter, the, the disciple. Simon Peter preached this story that, that he saw Jesus alive. He preached it until the day that he died. You know how he died, right? They wanted to silence him forever to get him to stop telling this story, so they decided to crucify him. Simon Peter was crucified for this story. But Simon Peter said that he did not feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. He begged them to crucify him upside down, just so that he wouldn't die looking the way Jesus looked. And so Simon Peter was crucified on a cross, but his feet were pointing up to heaven, and his head was at the ground. He died that way. Now, let me just ask you a question. Is there anybody on earth who would die for a story that they know is a lie? Would anybody die 
for something that they know is a lie. Peter was crucified. The apostle John, the youngest of these, he was boiled alive in oil. But he would never, ever say that this story didn't happen. Nobody dies for what they know is a lie. You know about Thomas? Thomas became a true believer. He told this story everywhere. He took this story to India. Thomas took the gospel of Jesus to India, preached it to everybody who would listen, planted churches. Eventually, his preaching brought him into conflict with the powers that be. They asked him to stop preaching. They commanded him to stop preaching. They threatened his life to stop preaching. He, he wouldn't. He, he couldn't stop telling this story. So they took swords and they drove them into his side. Thomas died, impaled with spears, swords into his side. So just realize, when, when Thomas said, I won't believe until I can take my hand and run it in, into the side of Jesus where he was pierced. Thomas died with a matching wound. He died with a gaping, bleeding wound in his side. Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see. And, and so Jesus came and gave him absolutely everything he needed for faith. But then Jesus said, you got to stop doubting now and believe. And then Jesus, Jesus said something very interesting to Thomas. Interesting because it, it has to do with us. Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. You believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who will believe and never see. See, that's the rest of us. That's all of us. We're not going to have the benefit of that kind of physical manifestation. We're not going to have the benefit of being able ourselves on this side of heaven to inspect those wounds. We will not have that pleasure, that privilege of, of looking Jesus in the face and having him say to us, stop doubting and believe. We won't get it like that. And Jesus understood that. And that's why he says, blessed are all those who will believe and never see. You, you won't see him. But I believe with all my heart that you will still be able to recognize that he is alive because he will come to you. I know this because it's happened to me. I feel his presence. I hear his voice. It's, it's not a talking voice. Medication wouldn't help me understand it. It's, it's not that sort of thing. Um, it's just that when the gospel is shared in my hearing, I, I can feel the Holy Spirit of God in my heart confirming that it's true. And, and when I hear the story of Jesus dying for sins, feel that, that he's done something for me. And there was a time in my life when I could literally just sense that he was knocking on the door of my heart. He just wanted me to stop doubting and believe and then to believe with all my life. So that's the thing. It's not just enough to say, okay, I think I, okay, I agree with that preacher. I agree with what you said. It's not just about agreeing with your head. It's not even just about coming to church, you know, becoming like a, a, a churchgoer. We're not, you know, we, plenty of churchgoers. We're not trying to make you a churchgoer. What is important is that you 
believe with all your life. That means your heart, your soul, your mind, all of you, you you simply respond to what Jesus has offered you by giving you back your life, surrendering your life to him. What we mean when we talk about becoming a Christian or being a Christian, it's just that simply believing what he's done for you and and accepting his offer of salvation, his offer to forgive your sins and give you a brand new start in life. That's why he did what he did. It, It was for you and me. Jesus said, blessed are those who, without seeing, believe. I'm asking you today to listen. Listen to the story and and believe. If you notice, there's a little yellow slip in the the pew right in front of you. Uh, Take a look at that. Some of you in this house today, you feel ready to take the next step. What I mean by that is... um, not promising to, you know, overnight, you know, become a whole new person. Jesus is going to make you a new person. But honestly, it's what this is about today is just taking that first step. It's just simply believing and, and being willing to start believing with your life, to take that next step of faith. If you feel like you're ready to accept that offer of salvation, if accept God's forgiveness of your sins, if you just want to say yes to him now, then uh, would you let us know that? I know it's hard sometimes to walk the aisle and come down front like, like we so often do in churches, like we're going to do today, but you don't have to do that. But still, if you just want somebody to know the decision you're making, would you put your name on that slip of paper and just check that box that you're becoming a Christian, that you're ready to say yes, and then will you leave that with me? Either come and put it on the stage here or put it in that box and that windowsill on your way out or, or put it right in my hand. I just would love to know. It's not my business, but I'd love to know. That next box down, though, is maybe where more of you are. It's, it's just a place where, you know, I've got questions. I sort of believe what you're saying today, but I don't feel ready to make any sort of commitment. But I have a lot of questions about my spiritual life. And I just like to have a place to ask questions. I like somebody to listen to my questions. And uh, we'll do that for you. We'll, we'll do that for you. Let's talk about your questions. Would you put your name and check that box and do the same thing? Leave that for us. And if you want us to contact you, we'll contact you. We'll talk about your questions. Let's do that. I just want you to understand that Jesus will give you all that you need for faith. In most of your cases, he already has. You know what you need to do, and you know what he's done for you. You know that he's real. You know that he's alive. You just haven't taken this step of believing with your life. On this day of all days, Easter, just asking you to stop doubting and believe. Come on, church. Pray with me. Lord, just like Thomas, most of us know what it is to uh, believe but feel like we need a little bit more proof. Jesus, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to every heart in this house. Lord, whatever touch, whatever sign, whatever strong movement of your spirit that is needed. I just pray, Lord, that you'll bring people in this house to full faith today. Lord, those who've already seen enough and those who've already, Lord, come to a place where they know. Just ask you, Lord, to give them grace to take that next and final step of committing their lives to you. 
Lord Jesus, it's a story that's very, very difficult to believe with our rational minds that a dead man could come back to life and be revealed as God. But Lord, we believe because we have met you. We have encountered you on the path in our lives. We have seen you. We ask you, Lord, that you would show yourself to the rest of the world. Lord Jesus, I pray in this house today that you would just begin to draw our hearts to worship you. Lord, those who have been very, very far away from you for a long time, I pray that you'd bring them near today, near enough, Lord, that they could find forgiveness and grace from your heart. Turn all of our hearts towards you today, Lord Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen.